0: Hi, I'm Matty Farrell, and welcome to In The Weeds. Firstly, thanks for all the support and feedback so far. After two episodes, we charted in the Apple Podcasts Top 50 Food Podcasts. That was a lovely little boost to receive today. So throughout the lockdown, we're bringing weekly content and it's definitely just turned into podcast weather in the wonderfully wet UK. So we have a nice little bonus episode this week. We resume our conversation with Mr. Paul Askew. Moving closer to home, this time we talk about Liverpool's resurgence that will be affected by the current situation. I think that's something that we had to cover. We also find out Paul's top three chefs he's worked with and a mutual affection for one chef and place in Spain in particular, and also a faulty sour service moment he won't forget. So let's all stay dry, sit back, and I hope you enjoy the rest of our conversation. Like, realistically in your opinion where do you think Liverpool now sits obviously someone asked me the other day and about i did a podcast with somebody else and they asked me yeah. i grew yeah. up like I was 17 18 1996 and so about yeah I mean, the dying seems absolutely non-existent I mean like really bad as you as you as you know but yeah where, where do you think it sits now realistically?
1: Well, it's interesting you pick uh, 95, 96, because that is actually the time um, when I'd just come back uh, from America and, and started work back in Liverpool. And and I remember the environmental health officer telling me that at the time, this will make you laugh, there were 73 registered restaurants with the environmental health really? in 1995. And I was the 74th wow. um, with the lower place just underneath the uh, the, um, the Royal Philharmonic Hall. And when you think about that and the size of the city, that's astonishingly bad, isn't it? the whole bad. city. The whole city, yeah. Wow. Not, not the city region, not the boroughs, but, but the no. city centre. Yeah, yeah. Know? So it just shows you how few there were. And nearly all of those were, you know, Greek, Indian, China, you know, the ethnic restaurants, et cetera. There, were, there weren't the number of sort of restaurants that we would think of now in terms of art school or anything. You could count on one hand, really. I mean, there was still very, you know, there was lots of very good ethnic restaurants. Don't get me yeah. wrong, but it, but it was, it did feel like it was it was a, and somebody, and <laughs> this is another one of our southern journalistic friends. You know, they said to me, "Why do you want to open a restaurant in Liverpool? It's a culinary desert." Yeah. And I, and of course, I objected to that. But to be honest, at the time, they were probably right. You know, in '95. So, if you look at where we are now, there's now something like two thousand six hundred and seventy-three. Now, you know, so in that. In that twenty-year period, there's there's been two and a half thousand restaurants plus open, uh, and they're still opening every day, aren't they? And 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 I think, if I'm honest, there's two two elements to this. I think I'm delighted that that's happened, and I think the, the the speed of the development and the um the trajectory we're on is is impressive, and 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 there's still a ways to go, but I think in the speed of that happening, I think we've actually missed some of the quality and some of the underpinning if you like of, of that you know I, if I'd have been <laughs> in, in an ideal world I've wanted that development to have been a little slower on on building blocks that are slightly more gastronomic slightly more focused on ingredients I think I think that's what I meant before
0: that I yeah that's where I was getting at
1: yeah yeah and I think you know as we all know that the danger of not having that underpinning knowledge and that foundation of, of experience and solid food culture it means you can go up very quickly but you might come down again as well and my my one concern in all of this is that um you know we're gonna we're gonna find out aren't we in the next six months um you know whether we've got that strength in depth whether we've got not just the the food culture part but the business culture part right as well and it's going to be really tough and, and and some people will go that don't deserve to go um and others will will succeed that maybe didn't deserve to succeed yeah. and, and that's life isn't it but but I think if you were to say to me the food culture of 2020 in Liverpool where we are now and where we were when I first came back I, I would have taken a bit of your arm off at the time and I think we've done incredibly well and and I also remember when we even when we opened the carriage works you know we were Liverpool was the 23rd most visited city in the UK that was in 2003 2004 we're now the third most visited city in the UK and a big part of that is the the dining scene, the bar culture, the hotels, the events that we have, the music, the sport. It's not, it's not just about the Beatles and Liverpool Football Club anymore. There's way more to it than that and I think, you know, yes we're an event-based city but I do think we're in an incredible position compared to most cities coming out of this and I think we we just need to work hard and reestablish ourselves and get ready for what's coming. And, and I think we will still be the number three most visited city in the UK. It, what, <laughs> the worrying side is, will they be coming in the same numbers? The answer is probably no. And that's going to take time to regenerate. But but I still think we'll be there. And I think we're still perceived as that exciting, great must-visit city in the UK. And And I think a lot of people will holiday in the UK this year as well. Yeah.
0: That's the positive, I think, that maybe yeah, definitely, staycations and boom in the yeah. economy potentially.
1: Yeah, so I think we we have to use this sort of quieter time now while we've got time to sleep and reflect and write menus and think about our businesses. And we've got to think to ourselves, well, what am I going to bring back to the party when this all comes back around again? And what are people in the UK going to be looking for in, in our city when they come? and visit you know are they going to want the same price point? are they going to want the same number of courses on a tasting menu in my case are they going to want it's the same price wine flight are they are they going to drink at all are they you know there's all, there's a million questions um but i do think that the one the one and only good thing about this is that we're all getting a decent rest <laughs> and god knows i needed it i tell you i didn't realize how much sleep i needed till, till yeah. this last week or so um, and we're all getting time to to recalibrate re, re re-energize whatever you want to call it but but sometimes you need that in a business you know i think i think it almost feels like the whole world is recalibrating and nature is recalibrating you know it, it, who knows it, it could be we, we've got to have some good come out of this haven't we that's that's my hope anyway and i think as long as we're ready for it liverpool's absolutely bob on to, to come out of it well
0: Obviously, '90s was you know following on from the '80s. It was you know it's almost had to completely rebirth itself in the space of that time. I, I don't think people, and you know, like you say, I mean, obviously we don't really get too political with it, but there's a lot of very unwarranted press, and you know, yeah. it's just very unnecessary. That has stuck for a number of years, and I think it's only now a generation of millennials and all that don't really know about it. And I think you're seeing it kind of disappear a little bit. Um, whereas, you know, it still exists, like, but you just have to move on. It's 2020, like you say, it uh, gets a bit boring.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think, I think that, um, you know, going back to saying about the city and the perception of the city, I think we, we needed to get our pride back as well. We, we were used to being kicked around and, you know, put to the bottom of the queue and no oh, scousers of this scousers that and 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 it's probably made us a little bit defensive over the years in some respects but but you know what the the capital of culture years gave us our pride back and i think that that was an amazing process and then when people realized how nice the city is how friendly it is how most hospitable people that you'll come across and they'll do anything for you and i think i think that had been you know, we'd lost ourselves, we'd lost our own identity, I think, before 08, the, the platform to, to rebuild and push on. And sadly, of course, then we had the financial crisis. You know, we, we actually came out of that really strong because, you know, Liverpool 1 wasn't quite finished and and some of the stuff on the docks wasn't quite finished. And the money was already there, so the building work continued, the economy. We actually probably rode the, the financial crisis better than nearly every city in the UK at the time. Mm. Uh, and my hope is that we're about to do that again with the positioning of of Liverpool as as that sort of party town. And let's be honest, when people come out of this, guess what they're going to want to do? <laughs> they're going to want to eat and drink and hooly and and we're good at that, aren't we? We can do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it it's definitely a, definitely a thing for sure. I yeah. think sometimes Liverpool does. I was talking as well to someone about it. You know, it can struggle because. People see Manchester and the, this big Mecca, and it's like, well, they, Manchester is great. as a catchment area of things around it, whereas we have the sea. But I actually think it is a benefit in the sense of it keeps that uniqueness. And, like, you know, people say oh, it's the biggest village you can go to, but it's, like, yes. that warm feeling, and I think that keeps that, like, independent vibe, vein going through it as well.
1: Yeah, oh, I, I agree, and I think that connection with the sea, as you've said, you know, the, the fact you can be at the waterfront and then you walk up, you walk through Liverpool One, you walk up Bold Street, you walk wherever you are up, you know, you're in all sorts of different territory. But it's still only 10 minutes away from the, from the waterfront, really, isn't it? You know, and the, that's why the cruise ship thing's been so successful. Um, and I think that's why the weekend break is probably more popular in Liverpool than Manchester because it's so compact. Yeah. You know, as you say, Manchester is a great city. But it's huge. It's it's spread out. It's you know it's a much bigger conurbation than Liverpool and 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 maybe for visitors it, it suits the fact that we're nice and tight and compact. You know.
0: Yeah, I think what anyone says about Liverpool one, uh, whether it's their thing or not, what what well, the job it actually did of tying the city in to the glittering oh, yeah. stuff that because that, before it it was it was an absolute mishmash of that was terrible yeah. you know? the Paradise Street. Car park, and then you that's that's the only way over to the docks over that field,
1: yeah. It's yeah. And the the wasteland of Shivas Park was just, that's you know, no, yeah, no, nobody would go near it, would they? They wouldn't cross the road, no. you know. And, uh, and then now, of course, the footfall in the Albert Dock when the weather is nice is uh is amazing, isn't it? So,
0: yeah, so I know you're a big advocate of training and bringing people through at a younger age and and. Obviously, being in the industry as well, I know how difficult it is to recruit, especially these days. What made you go down that route or is it something you've always thought is the way forward?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think um, it's 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 been something I've always been interested in. I've always wanted to, you know, give back to the industry because when I was going through the ranks, people gave me chances. And, and I've always said, you know, sometimes... It's just about giving somebody that first chance, off washing dishes in a local hotel when I was fifteen years old, you know, and, and do it while I was still at school at the time, and 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 you sort of get your you get your, your feet in there, and and somebody gives you a chance and shows you a few different skills, builds your confidence, and and so it moves on. And I think you know what what I noticed was particularly well, it was probably before carriage works, but but also particularly at the art school when we were recruiting for that was that there were so many new openings around at the time that staffing was really really tough and still to this day is tough and and the people i was looking for just weren't really out there so i i made a a much bigger effort than i normally do i mean i was doing competition work at the carriage works and we we had very you know a lot of success there as well and and it was always the academy approach about bringing you know um, trainees and apprentices who are doing day release from college, two days there, three days with us, or one day there, four days with us, and I think it's that combination of on the job and uh, underpinning knowledge from college. The two together for me is the way forward, and I've always always believed that. The, the big difference with the art school was that, as I say, there was many positions that I couldn't fill, um, and there was this thing called the Merrill Youth Contract at the time and i thought you know what I, I can't wait any longer i've got to i've got to grow my own staff. i've i've got to go right back to base and grow my own and, and we actually took on seven apprentices to launch the restaurant which was oh. <laughs> look looking back um it, it was a piece of madness but a piece of genius at the same time they always say those two things are very close together don't they mm-hmm. um, and i think you know a lot of them were 16 17 years old never picked up a a knife before never picked up a tray or poured a glass of wine and so it was a massive challenge and, and and one that I still look back and think god how did how did we get through it all but you know what that they, they were so proud of of being part of the art school and so proud of Liverpool as a city and so so determined to do well and work hard and and you know I, I couldn't fault them to be honest you know yeah we, we had the usual problems of you know teen teenagers and coming in late and disappearing for fags and all, you know, the usual thing. But yeah. you know what, if, if you're not prepared to, to mentor your staff and, and put, them up, put an arm around the shoulder or give them a kick up the arse or, you know, if you're not willing to do that and engage with them, then you shouldn't be in business anyway, in my opinion. And and I think between us and the college, we have a very good relationship with City of Liverpool, but we've also used um, L20. We've used St. Helens College. Uh, we're all mess, you know. We, we've tried to work with all the colleges at Merseyside, to be honest. And I would go in and I'd, I'd judge their college competitions, or I'd um, go and do a masterclass, or and although I was doing that for the college and the students, I was also doing it because I wanted to see what quality was coming through the ranks. You know, it's like a, a football scout going out to watch and watch a few games over the weekend, yeah. and I'm looking for. Ta- I'm, I still do it now. I still do it all the time. I'm looking for the the next who are we going to bring as the next apprentice? Who are we going to, it sounds like Alan Sugar, doesn't it? It's not like that. that. What I mean is who's going to be the next 16, 17 year old, who's going to come to the art school and work his way through or her way through. And then who's going to go in the young Northwest chef of the year, who's going to go in the national chef of the year. And as I said before, it's not just a challenge to that person and me. What it does is it brings the whole brigade together to develop new ideas and and that whole research development kicks in, and, and then the dishes come on, and we might go out and look for some new ingredients. Might go back to the suppliers, back to the back to a farm maybe to look at a, a, a particular breed of sheep, or you know, it it yeah. the amazing process, and very similar to the process I did myself for Great British Menu. You know, I mean, you, you craft it with four brand new dishes for that, and and the crockery, and the you know, and the backstory, and the, I mean, it, it costs actually a lot of time and money to do that competition. Um, but it 's it is very much worth it but it but what it does is that that is all r and d for your business really in terms of you know the culinary side and the and the development of that so I think going back to the original question of of young kids i mean they, they are are literally they are the art school family are all people who 've come through the ranks or have maybe been recruited from Spain or Italy or France because i couldn 't find you know, it's it's a bit like a football team, isn't it? If you if you haven't got an academy player for that position, you have to go into the transfer market. That's how I look at it, you know. And yeah. sometimes you need to do that. And you need I think you need a bit of cosmopolitan uh influence, different cultures. I think, you know, that that mixed with, you know, the, the hospitality and the humour and the banter of a of a scouser in the kitchen or a or a commie on the floor who can have a little bit of chit chat or the, the bartender who knows his drinks but He's actually a bit of a cheeky chappy and he knows his way around town, and he can give some directions and give give some perspective of the city as well. I think it's all a jigsaw puzzle, isn't it? And I, I spend hours and hours thinking about each little piece of that jigsaw. And 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 sometimes, if the people aren't right, we do have to change them, like any business. You think it's harder now. I, I do, yeah. I, th- I think I think the challenge now and moving forward is definitely going to be front of house rather than chefs. I think. Um, I think the culinary side is still, you know, coming out of college, there are more people who want to be chefs than there are. I mean, the number of people who want to do front of house is, is absolutely zero. I mean, you know, British people, I mean, this is, I call this the curse of the Victorians, you know, the upstairs downstairs curse, because as British people, we all think we should be the ones being served, not doing service. And, and, and yet to me, it is one of the most fabulous parts of our job, you know, dealing as long as, Obviously, people—we <laughs> all know that there can be some challenging general public members out there. But, but in general, making people happy, which is what we are, uh, what that's what we do for a living. We we go out to make people happy. What yeah. could be better than that? You know. So, I, I do hope that you know we we've got a a fantastic uh, lady sommelier, um, British lady, amazing, and I think she's going to be our next uh, restaurant manager because. Filipe has decided to go back to Spain after he's been over 20 years now in the UK, and he, obviously with the the crisis recently, it's made him reevaluate and want to go back and spend time with his family, which we respect and understand. Obviously, he's trapped in the UK at the moment, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but moving forward, there'll be a slightly more uh, uh, British feel to the brigade, although we've still got many international staff who I adore and very very proud of, as you all know from our christmas party our awards ceremony you know we <laughs> it was a bit like um, it was a bit like the united nations this year it was great i loved every minute of it you know I, I think in our business it's it's that it's how you piece it together but i think the challenge moving forward is will we still get our european cousins coming and our international cousins coming to the uk or is it very much going to be about our homegrown talent moving forward mm. and I, th- I think that's the pressure point because the colleges are suffering you know, they're less than 50% enrollment on all catering courses across the UK and hardly anybody wanted to go into front of house. Oh. So I think there's a massive, massive challenge coming. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm from a front of house
0: background and obviously we get the recruit. That's the hardest we find at the minute, front of house. Yeah. Um, and it just seems, yeah, it doesn't seem, and there's not a lot of loyalty there. People like to move on and they move around a little bit. There's only a, we've got a select few, um, but I find, like you say, about the UK, when I was 16, we went on like a a, a week away in a job sort of work experience thing in Tarragona, which is in Catalonia. And yeah. I, up, I worked in like a a family restaurant, it was a really popular restaurant there. And that's when I started learning about front of house. I was just hooked on that then. But, that, but there was yeah. no, over there, there was not, there wasn't that thing, oh, you, what, you're a waiter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Was, oh, yeah, yeah. It was they sit down after every meal it was an absolute buzz it, you know it was a real togetherness about it and obviously you see that in Europe where you know you you have 30 40 50 60 year old you know front of house people because it's respected as as it isn't here or it's changing a bit here isn't it but it's it, it really you know
1: not seen that way yeah no I, I couldn't agree more I think uh, you know it's lovely that you've you had that bug when you got it and 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 I think you know the the nice thing that I will say about the, the culture of, of the art school service is that, you know, we, we we have developed what I wanted in the first place, which is there is a culture of hospitality in that restaurant now. And and if somebody comes into it in terms of a colleague, if they don't fit into that culture immediately, they they can't exist there. They have it, it doesn't it's like a square peg in a round hole mm. and, and it's all about the people in the red chairs, but when we finish work you know, we socialise, we have a meal together, we have a drink together. And it, it's that it's that European um, culture that you've just described. You know, yeah, we work hard and we look after our guests, but we have to look after each other as well. And, and it's that whole camaraderie is so important, you know. And, and and actually, during this kind of crisis now, just a little WhatsApp message on the group saying, how are you doing? You know, what have yeah. you been cooking today? What have you had? Do you have a glass of wine? Like, just those things that we would sit and talk about in the restaurant, you know, and, and I think that's what, I, I'm probably missing that more than anything, just having that that day-to-day banter and that day-to-day, hang on a minute, that wasn't so good last night, let's change that, let's do, you know, it's still every day that happens now and um, I, I just wish there was a bit more of that in the UK and I think Liverpool is, is definitely that kind of place where we can have that hospitality culture as we've just been talking about, um, whether people are, are willing to live that and love that because as you know it's what you said before th- this isn't this isn't a job this is a way of life you know and it, it's people have to understand that when they I think that's where a lot of young British people coming into the industry think they're going to go home after 45 hours and switch off and have their <laughs> have another separate life it just doesn't work like that you know it just isn't like that you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: sorry but it's not <laughs> no it definitely <laughs> yeah. not I think though,
0: you t- like I noticed, you said something about like fifty-five to sixty hours that it used to be, and I think we we ourselves, a company, try and work that down now. Where people, you know, a lot of companies, you can yeah, you know, I was working eighty ninety hours a week, and I was getting paid this, so I was only getting that.
1: enough. Right. that that yeah. needs to change because that that won't help. Sure. So that's been yeah, and I think you know, i I'm, you've you've probably been at the forefront of that in many ways. I would have thought, and. You know, we we've changed ours now. You know, you you probably do 45 to 55 in our place tops now, which I think for the for the level that we're working at is is remarkable. And you know, my my holy grail is to get to a four day week. Yeah. To get to get to a four day week, we all have to be able to afford that. You know, financial. This is where the this is back to one of our conflicts again now, isn't it? You know, if we go to a four day week, will we lose the quality? Will we lose that edge? Will we lose that? Because, you know for, for us we only open five days anyway, I already closed Sunday Monday so they all know when they get in a the day. they get two days off together and they get an early or a late during the week and then they do three long days. And I think that's pretty good you know and we have a, a, a close down in January close down in August, although we, we won't now will we? <laughs> not this year we will. Um, if we're open. <laughs> um, but, but I think I think when you put some structure in like that because that, the, the reason I did it is that I wanted Sunday Monday two days off together family day, Sunday, sleep Monday or do whatever you want. But but I also wanted them to know that it was the eight, you've got your A team on every day, then only Tuesday to Saturday, five day week. Yeah, I haven't got, you know, I haven't got the B team coming off the bench. I've got my A team on every day. And I think that was a very important move for me, but also for them because they know the structure of their working week. They can go out on Saturday night after work, go to have a few drinks, go and have a dance. They have a lie in on a Sunday morning that I don't have to worry who's coming in on Sunday. It's that I, I wanted that for myself as well as them because I know what it feels like, you know, having been in busy restaurants and hotels all my life. It, it's there's nothing worse than having to crawl in on early on a Sunday morning <laughs> again no. after a busy week, you know. So it's we're getting there, but I, I think the four day week is inevitable, isn't it, for the industry? At some yeah. point. I think there's nothing worse for a guest though, as
0: well, when they know oh, hang on, they are in in a day and they know oh, that that chef isn't here and I think you can tell and then, like you say, it's it's finding that balance because it's got to be the same experience every time you come in and have the, the, absolutely, the absolutely. And the consistency, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And it, it, it's so important to us that, you know, and I think if if I've, I, th- I think we got that right in the beginning. It's our, I mean, my accountant always tells me we should open for Sunday as well and I will <laughs> say, but, you know, if we do that, then it it just knackers the whole, the whole philosophy, the whole rota, the whole mentality of that family day. And and it, you know, I don't know, who knows moving forward, I might have to consider that in our, in our new regime, in this new world that we're about to create for ourselves, you know, so it could be, could be, we have to change, but, but that was always the, my mentality behind it, I think was, was, was correct in the beginning, you know, so.
0: Cool. So for, to, from youth, I just want to speak to you, then go on the other end to like a great, yeah. who, who is the best chef you've ever worked with or cooked with?
1: Oh, wow. Uh, quite a few, probably. Um, so I'll, I'll pick out a few of them and some of them won't speak to me if I don't mention them. So, I mean, the, the thing about me is I, I was always obsessed with the Rue brothers and, and all, all that sort of. Uh, the Rue the dynasty, if you like, as I call it. But um, one of my real good friends is, was actually, uh, who's was sort of my mentor, if you like, in the Royal Academy of Culinary Art when I, I'm, I'm now the joint chair in the north of England with, with Stephen Doherty. And he was the the chef that took over from Albert Rue at the Gavroche. And he therefore, he was the first English chef to hold three Michelin stars uh, on behalf of the Rue brothers. And in his brigade, was Gordon Ramsay, Marco Pierre White and all these people and he is a, a master of culinary arts and I always refer to him as um uh, as Obi-Wan Kenobi so I the I use the Star Wars uh, analogy Albert is Yoda to me um, <laughs> Stephen Doherty is Obi-Wan and I'm I'm trying to be a a, a young Jedi coming up behind although I'm not so young anymore um and and, and he's sort of he sort of treats me like that. And I cut, you know, I'd, I'd take the piss and call him my Lord and all this. Um, but, but genuinely uh, as an out and out cook, as a, as a chef, as a, as a character, he's, he's incredible. You know, his nickname was bulldog. Cause I think he had to be. Um, and he's always chewing a wasp, but he does it with a, with a sort of sarcastic grin on his face <laughs> all the time, which makes me laugh. But his ability is, is astonishing, but I never got to work in the day to day with him. I've only ever done like guest chef, uh, dinners with him and I've done demos with him and that sort of stuff but his ability is he's 60 now but he's he's stunning you know really really strong um I think from a an international point of view I would say I was very lucky to do a a very special dinner for you probably remember him Shabby Alonso right so he, I was yeah. actually, I was hoping you'd
0: mention this because I, uh, I seen I seen that in 2006 I'm right on not I yeah. 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 So the best meal I've ever had out is, and I'm going to try and say it correctly, is Martin <laughs> Igui's restaurant.
1: Correct. In yeah.
0: bastian um, Yeah. So that, that blew me away.
1: That. Yeah. Well, he, Martin is for me. Well, he he him and uh, another Basque chef called Arthak. You probably heard of him. Um, they were the two chefs that were chosen to cook the Spanish royal wedding. Um, so you can you can see how highly they're thought of over there, but I, I would agree. If I had to pick, you heard you heard my choice from North America before about Per se and uh, Eleven Madison Park. But if you know my favorite place in the world is probably San Sebastian in terms of food, and again I would agree with you. I think Martin Berresetti's food is just off the scale. It's um, absolutely incredible. We have a couple of people working with us now who who worked with him in Lasarte uh, in the restaurant in. In Barcelona, not I know the original one is called La Sarte, which is the one that you will have been to, but but certainly cooking with him at the carriage works, um, that was just a fantastic experience. You know, it was it was Shabby Alonso's birthday treat from the from the Basque government because he'd right. done some TV work. <laughs> yeah, I know it's an amazing story, but he did some TV work for free for them um, promoting recycling or something, and he refused the fee. So they, they contacted us separately and asked if I would host the dinner for him and his friends, which were going to be paid for by the Basque government. And he, and they also said, would you mind if we if we uh, flew out one of our Basque chefs to work alongside you? To... And I was like, well, you know, as soon as he told me who it was, I was like, <laughs> do I mind? You must be fucking joking, you know. <laughs> I want to kiss him, you know. So, so he spent a um, couple of days with us and, and we delivered a, I think it was 14 courses we sent out for the 12 people and we it was filmed by um i don't know if you remember uh, it was a, a granada reports type program that simon rimmer used to present called mm-hmm. grubs up if, before he did um uh sunday brunch he, he was that but he, he wasn't actually there at the time and um so we, it was sort of part presenting and part cooking with them and it was just stunning you know so you know he's a he's a three michelin star legend from san sebastian so he had to be up there um and then i suppose most recently um we've done a number of things through the Royal academy of culinary arts and hospitality action and i'd probably have to say uh, a fellow a fellow we're alien um if you like called gary jones who is the, the head chef of le manoir uh, as so he's raymond blanc's right hand man basically mm-hmm. guy from hazel on the world and um we did a dinner at um, Anfield last year for, to raise funds for um, Chefs Adopter School with the Royal Academy, and, and he did the fish course. We were doing the main course and, of course, collaborations, and, and it, it was just a joy to be around. And I think the thing with him is as well, he does so much work, like judging the National Chef of the Year, judging the Young National Chef of the Year, um, which I also do as well through his invitations and things through the Academy. But just, just the whole energy that he brings and the whole, um, he's got the hospitality gene in bucket loads, you know, and this is a guy who used to be, you know, Richard Branson's personal chef on Necker Island one minute and then he's in the, he's in Le Manoir the next and he's been there, I don't know, 25, 30 years as as Raymond's right-hand man, just astonishing. Um, so the ability of these guys is, is, is very obvious, but you can you can often tell because they're very similar people in terms of their mentality and towards training and mentality towards the whole job, the, the hours, the, it, again, it's a way of life. It's the, it's them, it's, it's their job, it's their life, it's their love, it's their hobby. It's everything, you know, it's, it's everything to them. And, and they tend to be by definition, the best ones. So yeah. I mean, Beresetegui, he grew up as a, as a, as a baker from, he, w- he was sent away to a bakery in France when he was something like 12 years old. He used to sleep on the bags of flour because he had nowhere to live. Wow. Um, and then gradually worked his way up and worked his way up in all sorts of different amazing places. And now he's got, I don't know, I think he's got more Michelin styles than you can shake a stick out. Know, and no, he's a lovely yeah. guy, by the way, as well. Yeah, well, he came
0: out, he came out and shook everyone's hand, had a chat with everyone. His English wasn't the best at the time. Yeah, that's,
1: time. Always, that's a challenge, but... It, Believe me, when he's had a couple of beers, it's, it's <laughs> universal language
0: there. <yeah. laughs> he he cooked, I had a I had a dish there, and he, he just used fennel, but he cooked it three ways. One was like a foam. I can't remember yeah. the other two off the top of my head, but it just blew my mind. I was like, "How has he just done that with fennel alone?" And it fennel, was yeah. it just you just stuff like that, and it's it's stuck in my head. And I, when I saw your name associated with him, I had a little look online last night. Yeah, yeah. Not many people in the UK actually really talk about him or anything like
1: that really No I mean I'll be honest with you if if I'd say if hopefully when if ever we get to the Holy Grail of the Michelin star I've promised everybody that we'll we'll bloody get over there and we'll have our celebration dinner with Martin or or (laughs) we'll get him to come back to Liverpool because he's he's also a big footy fan because because of Shabby because Shabby's from San Sebastian as well that's where the connection comes from and um, we took him over a a Liverpool shirt and he's you know he's got his it's he's got TV screens in his kitchen and everything Where he, uh, <laughs> even during service he's keeping an eye on the match it's hilarious he's an amazing guy really yeah. is
0: and, and just really and just, just on San Sebastian itself because I'm a, a massive advocate of it it's a fantastic place yeah yeah what, How do you get off over there often?
1: yeah I've probably done maybe six seven trips now in total some of it some of them are with um the wine uh, fraternity where we do a a trip through Rioja um, and then end up in San Sebastian or, or or Bilbao sometimes as well. Bilbao is another great city, but I still think San Sebastian has got the edge. Um, But, but I've also been socially with, um, you know, my wife and and we have a group of about 15 of us that often just go over, get B and B, you know, Airbnb or something and just camp out for the weekend and look in all the little, Tapas uh pinchos shops, and you know, it, it, it's you never get bored of it, and you, you always find something new, something different. It's incredible.
0: I think yeah, the, the, uh, because you've got the other side of it—the culinary, the old town—and it's very much relaxed drinking, pinchos, move. Yeah. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I, have you been over there when they do the in August? They do the big festival, and they started with a cannon.
1: No, I haven't. I've heard about it, but I haven't. Uh, yeah. Because it was all, there was all the
0: press then, we're like, well, like, like every TV station, like, what is this? You know, it can't be that. And they set the cannon off. Fuck it now, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> every, every single person about two yards just yeah. like shit. It was
1: that long. Yeah. And then it
0: just, the festival going on for about a week. It was, um,
1: <laughs> it They now up the party. They love it, don't they? So, you know, again, it's probably a bit, bit like what I said about what Liverpool has potential to be, except they literally live and die for food and drink, don't they? I mean, you know, when they when they have the National Day Parade, it's led by the chefs. It's led by Beresetagi and about thirty chefs. That's how they feel about food and drink. And the market there, the, the the wine, the cider, the just everything they do is is revolves around food and drink. Literally everything. That is their way of life. They don't you know, everything else is secondary to that. Um I don't think we'll ever quite get to that level, but but you know, we we're getting closer. We're getting closer. Yeah.
0: The travelling now. Talking about the travelling. We oh,
1: well, it's it's the it's life, isn't it? It's the the, the very, you know. I think the educational uh, element of travel and and mm. the things that you're exposed to and, and how it opens your mind and opens your taste buds and it just it's just astonishing, isn't it? And it's yeah. hopefully let's get back to that as soon as possible. Yeah. Absolutely, and just finally,
0: have how have you have you talked to the isolation? Have you been have you been slaving away in the kitchen with family getting? You?
1: Um, do you know do you know what I have? It's uh, I wasn't too well the first week or two. I think it's your classic chef stopping work, um, and the minute I stop, or I was actually due because, as you know, we were due to do the Grand National, so we had a big build up, and we were just about to get ready to camp out there and start getting everything ready. Um, and then I think it was quite a, probably a bit of stress um, mixed in with a, a virus. Of, so I don't think it was COVID, but I've, got, I've had something. In fact, I still can't smell or taste now. Oh, so right. I'm, a bit, I'm a bit worried about my palate at the moment because it's yeah. – <laughs> obviously for a chef that's quite important. Um, well, hopefully <laughs> it's coming back bit by bit. But but uh, no, s- since I've started feeling better last week um, and this week, I actually um, I purchased just a, f- a few new little gadgets in the kitchen. and. Uh, had some deliveries from Amazon, <laughs> and I've started baking bread and making stuff for. The, I've been cooking every night for the for my wife and my son, and it's been nice actually. That's been really cool. Obviously, can't get all the ingredients that I want. Although I did have a nice delivery over the weekend from Mister Edge and yeah. Boys and Belly, and I'll be getting something from Mister Ward's. They're still doing all their deliveries and stuff. So you know, life goes on. But I think the big thing is missing the human contact, the brigade, the, the hustle bustle of the restaurant, the, seeing the regular customers and with big smiles on their faces and, you know, it, yeah, for sure. it's 40 years for me next year so it's, um, it feels quite weird to say the least, so, yeah. I think, I think like,
0: it gives you time to reconnect though, I think, like you say, I think, um, yeah, definitely I've enjoyed, I mean, the girls are only two but just messing around with them and getting them to, you know, doing some videos with them and learning that they actually take to like, start asking questions what's that there so I'm obviously like you know i'm going now. China to do a little micro farm and still haven't got any chickens but we'll, uh, Have you,
1: we'll <laughs> yeah. I you I was, I was looking through my bookshelf the other day and i've got an encyclopedia of british chickens which i'll pass on to you yeah it's fabulous sure. actually
0: yeah so that, you need to, i think it's really i mean it goes back to what we said earlier that people you could use it as a chance to actually reconnect with you know and learn and, and educate and learn about the project where it comes from and, and that's you know like you said it was already going that way anyway so look, like, what more better way now than shop locally you know shop
1: Absolutely. oh that is going to be it isn't it moving forward everybody's going to they going to be a slight issue there of course is that a lot of them are little artists and producers and they don't yeah. produce massive amounts so so there's going to be a different kind of problem for them i think business will be very good for them I think people like you and me will, will struggle a little bit to get exactly what we want because there's going to be such high demand. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll find a way. Um, but no, you're right. I think a time for re- recalibrating, you know, re-energise, look at some new dishes, some new ideas, read a bit, try and get your head around what the financials are going to look like. And the most important thing is to come back bigger and stronger. And, you know, the, the one thing about Liverpudlians is that you know, we've, we've had lots of recession and lots of hardship, but every time we come back stronger and we give it a good kick, don't we, and uh, off we go again. And and I think there's no reason that that won't happen this time around. It's it's going to be more challenging, I think, but we'll be there. And I think people just need to keep smiling and keep believing and push on again, get ready for the big duster. Cool. So, and lastly,
0: we, um well, on the podcast of being called in the weeds, I'm going to put it on this, <laughs> a little bit here what do you have a an in the weeds moment that is that sticks out to you that kind of might be anything it could have been a service a particular guest or whatever but something that stuck that and actually might have made you a little bit stronger
1: oh god thousands of them (laughs) you'd need another program to do all of them i think i think i think that's i think that's the thing about our industry isn't it in the in the weeds you know we could do a slightly less polite version in this shift isn't it but it, but that's that's what we're talking about and I think every time something like that happens you do come out of it stronger and you do come out of it a bit wiser um one that always sticks in my mind and, and it, it it's a scary one but it's a thankfully a pleasant outcome in the end was that um, this was in the carriage works days this was and we, we'd been open about a year and we were we were in the middle of, a, of an AA inspection so you know, everybody's on. We'd sussed out that it was him. You know, the telltale signs were all there, yeah. and and it was as it turns out. And um, things were going well. The starters had gone out. It was quite a busy service. Probably eight o'clock in the evening on a summer's evening, so it was still quite light outside. But um, unfortunately, one of the guys in the kitchen, um, and I hadn't I hadn't found out at this point that but he was he was epileptic. So he decided that in the middle of the AA inspection he was going to have this horrendous seizure or or whatever and he he literally dropped from his his feet and just went over. He must have missed the corner of a stainless steel table with his temple by about that much. Hit the deck. I had to stick my fingers down his throat to stop him from swallowing his tongue. The AA inspection went out the window. The, The paramedics were called. And they literally—it was a bit like a faulty towers sketch where he was wheeled out in one of those chairs with his head straps past the AA inspector out the front door and into the ambulance. Yeah, Thankfully, be, he's fine and he's right. still around. He's fine now, but I'll never forgive the bastard because <laughs> I'm sure we would have got our third rosette at that point. But um, it was it was it was literally one of those. But you know, there's there's so many things like that. I mean, fire fire alarms going off in the middle of football team staying above and oh my god there's tons of stuff tons of stuff well but yeah all good good. character building oh boy character
0: building absolutely so just thanks a lot for your time i appreciate it one, one last word of positivity for anyone listening and words of solidarity
1: yeah well i think you know one thing that i've learned about this whole process is the thing that's kept me going is the is the little whatsapp groups of the industry and the liverpool hospitality association guys and people like yourself and and just keep keep talking to each other keep sharing the problems sharing the sharing the burden if you like and and also sharing best practice the, the amount of tips that you learn from that and i think that the solidarity word is very very apt at the moment because i think there is a galvanizing of the the restaurateurs the bar owners the hoteliers the the visitor economy in general, I think, has been galvanized by this. And let's be honest, we've been the ones who've been hit the hardest. We'll we've, we've close early and we're going to open late. Mm-hmm. You know, the reopening is going to be the longest for us. So I think we've got the most challenging uh, sort of landscape to look forward to. But but the most, the most important thing is we've got to look forward to it and we've got to be ready for it. And there's no point in crawling, crawling under a rock and burying our head in the sand. You know, we've got to use this time to rest regenerate, get the finances right, get the brigade and the teams built back up, get them psyched up. It's like getting ready for a big game, isn't it? Or something like that. That's why I always look at it. Um, it's my rugby mentality coming out again. But um, the most important thing is that Scousers, you know, in the face of adversity, we have a bit of banter, we laugh a joke about it. And guess what? We come back bigger and stronger. And I think, you know, that, that, that would be where I think we'll be. And I think we will still be the third most visited city in the UK. Um, I think it's up to us to make sure the numbers are still strong and keep those people who are going to go on holiday here in Liverpool I think that's going to be the key to it so uh, keep smiling and have a little tipple all will be well I would say
0: on that note Mr Askew thank you very much for your time Um, it's been great and you know all the best to your family and stay safe
1: thank you very much and the same to you Mr Farrell well done sir thank you
0: (laughs) well that's it for now guys Thanks again to Paul and to keep in touch with Paul on his social media. You can go to Porky Askew or check out the Artschoolrestaurant.co.uk. Keeping the Liverpool and Spanish link. Uh, we've got the sad news, former Liverpool European Cup winner, highly respected Spanish pundit Michael Robinson died today at the age of 61. So I'd like to dedicate this to episode to him and his family. If you have any more feedback, you can always contact me on goes on Twitter or Instagram or you can subscribe by my website, mattyfarrell.co.uk. Take care, guys, and speak to you this weekend. We have bingo aficionado, Mr. Johnny Bongo, popping by, well, by technology anyway, but he's on fine form, and he actually thinks he can cook. So we'll talk to him about that. See you then. Thanks, everybody, and stay safe.